So Ephesians chapter 1, I'll start with this verse. I love this verse, uh, 1, 9, and 10. J.B. Phillips' translation says, For God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan, and it is this. He purposed long ago in his sovereign will that all human history should be consummated in Christ, that everything that exists in heaven and earth should find its perfection and fulfillment in him. And, you know, the thing that really excited me when I came to the Lord when I was 18 years old was, you know, it just the puzzles, life was such a puzzle and you wonder why this happens, why that happens, why these nations do this, why is this happening all the time? And when I came to the Lord, started reading the Bible, it's like it's like pieces of life's puzzle begin to be put together. And that's uh, and and so if you understand that Jesus is coming again, how many understand He is coming again? And uh, and uh, He came the first time as a baby. He's coming the second time to make things right on planet Earth and to rid the earth of all the malevolent influences that have hindered God's ultimate purposes and plans ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. There was a curse on the, there was a curse on the soil, and then God's arch enemy Satan became the god of this age. He has a legal right, howbeit not a moral right, to be here, and God can't just dispossess him of the authority that he gained when Adam and Eve sinned. He's here. And his hierarchy of demon forces and fallen angels and, and also human beings that will do his will. They've been working all these uh, centuries of time or really millennia of time uh, to, uh, to hinder God's purposes and plans. But Jesus is coming back to deal with all of his enemies, remove them off of this planet, take the curse off this planet, and make this planet what it was before Adam and Eve sinned. And the good news is, you and I may die and go to heaven, but we're going to come back with glorified bodies that will live in heaven and on earth in eternity. And this is where you're going to spend eternity, right here. Is that cool? Oh my goodness, I got to, I, I get off my notes, I get to thinking. I got a book entitled Heaven, and uh, it's by Randy Alcorn. He's got two books on heaven, really, really good. And one of his thesis in, in his books is really good, all from scripture, is that we are carbon-based creatures. God created us to live on this planet. And it's anything other than the will of God for you to live in heaven for eternity. You may, be go, you may go there. You might have a Jacob's ladder experience where he saw Jacob was sleeping one night. And he saw angels going up and down on the ladder. And, and you may go up and down between heaven and earth. But your place is on earth for eternity. And Jesus is making a way for that to happen for us. Is that exciting? So, you know, as you age and as you think about life and you think about the last enemy that is to be destroyed, which is death, and you think about all the stuff that's happening right now, just, just think a little bit farther. Just look a little farther down the road. Get the macro idea that God has that one day all this stuff we're wrestling with will be done. And we're, it's going to be the Father and we're his family and his children and we're going to spend eternity with him. Is that exciting? So uh, we have spent uh, six lessons talking about all sorts of things. This is lesson number, uh, I'm sorry, five lessons. This is, le I'm, it is lesson number, let me see where I'm at. Yeah, lesson number seven. And uh, we've gone all, all the way through the book of Revelation chapter one. And uh, we've talked about some previous things to understand the book in March and in April. And then in July, we went through the first chapter of the book of Revelation and then the last time I spoke on this was August 21st, and we introduced the seven churches. Jesus uh, had something to say to seven churches in modern-day Turkey. In the Bible, that's called Asia Minor. In history, Anatolia is that parcel of land there, and we know it today as modern-day Turkey. But there were seven churches there, and... Um, 
They were fairly close to one another. And Jesus has something to say to all seven of those churches. And uh, probably because it fit, we say, why did he do that and put it in the book of Revelation? Because it has something to say perhaps with what the church that that, uh, will be on earth when Jesus comes back, what we will be dealing with and the kinds of issues that we deal with. So Jesus chose seven churches in the first century and the things that they were dealing with. Uh, it seems to indicate we're going to be dealing with if we're that generation that sees Jesus come back, and that very well could be. So so, uh, last time uh, we spoke on this, August 21st, we started with the first church that Jesus spoke of, the first of seven, the book of uh, the church of Ephesus in uh, Revelation chapter 2. And uh, Ephesus was a really strong church founded by Paul on his first missionary journey. He was there for three years. And Ephesus was in all, all aspects of the word, a word church. In fact, you go read the, the epistle uh, to the Ephesians, and that's probably the most spiritually written book uh, epistle in the New Testament. An epistle is a letter. It's probably the most spiritual letter the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, a sequel to that would be the book of Colossians. And uh, just a really, really, I love to read the book of Ephesians. So when you think about the people in Ephesus, think about what they heard for three years. They heard the stuff that you read about in the book of Ephesians. This was a spiritual group of people. They were, they were grounded on the word. They were founded on the word. They had discernment. Um, but the problem is they've been walking with God and they had tasted the best that God had. And, and here's the challenge you'll find as you grow in God and as the years go by is to keep your first love where it needs to be and keep your passion for God. And, you know, uh, Susan, I'll be married 40 years. You know, I'm going to tell you it's something to be married to somebody that long. Keep your passion. But I can say I love my wife more today than I did when I met her. But that's not without design, and that just doesn't happen. And I have had people over the years say, well, I don't love my spouse anymore. We fell out of, we fell, uh, you know, ideas, well, I fall in love, well, you can fall out of love. No, 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 by design, you don't do the things to keep the love spark going, and it'll die down. Is that true? And it's the same way with our relationship with the Lord. So God really, um, you know, back in the early 80s, you've heard all my stories, but... I tell him constantly, thank you so much for speaking to me in the early 80s and specifically telling me to get my tail up out of bed early in the morning. And I didn't want to do it. I was in my early 20s, and and I I didn't know why he was saying this to me. I certainly didn't want to do it. I wouldn't even listen to him. For, I mean, he told me, and I didn't obey for over a month. I said, I can't do this. But you know what? That's the thing that kept the passion. I still have a passion for Jesus. It's been 43 years why is that passion there? You know, if you just make up your mind, I'm going to be with him every day. In the same way with if you're married to somebody, be with him every day. Talk to them every day. It, you might have some challenging talk. You might be in giving each other a spit bath. But you're talking and you're relating. You hear what I'm saying? And, you know, you can keep your passion alive. So anyway, Ephesus, they had lost their first love. And that's what Jesus has said to them. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works. And that's the key. How do you get your passion for God back? Well, how do you get your passion for marriage back? How do you get your passion for life back? How do you get out of the doldrums? What, what, what got you started? What, what were you like when, when what, was, what was life like when, when life started for you? and you had ambition and you had zeal what was your marriage like when you first got married what were you doing what was your relationship with Jesus like when you first started go back and do the first things and that's what he said to the Ephesians church and uh, I really the church in Ephesus and I really really I really like that and it's something that you really need to think about regularly keep the passion 
in all of your relationships. How many know friendships change? Relationships change. If you want to keep a friendship for a long time, you just got to work on it. Friendships aren't easy. Relationships aren't easy. They take personal effort. And Jesus has done everything he can for us, and he's given us a summons. Come and dine. Come and fellowship. Come and be with me. So anyway, that word to the uh, church in Ephesus was wonderful. The next church Jesus speaks to in the book of Revelation chapter 2 is, uh, is the church in Smyrna. Everybody say Smyrna. Now, you know, that word actually comes from the word myrrh, uh, fra- uh, which is a fragrance. And uh, so maybe that was a, you know, may- maybe they did something that, that to God smelled really amazing. So Revelation 2, let's start with verse 8, and let's just read. We'll come back and make some comment. We're going to talk about the book of, um, I'm sorry, the church of Smyrna, and then the church of Pergamos tonight. We'll take two tonight, and that'll be all we cover. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. There was a limit to it. But be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So let's just look at this a little bit by little bit here. Smyrna is known as the persecuted church. It's about 40 miles from Ephesus, not that far away. It's a very large, very wealthy, a very wealthy city. Uh, Ephesus is in ruins today. You see pictures of all the, you know, all the things, the building ruins laying around and such. But Smyrna, the city of Smyrna, still exists as a city of about 200,000 people today. And again, that name Smyrna means myrrh, perfume. They were going through great persecution, but it wafted up to God as a tremendous fragrance as they honored the Lord and refused to compromise. And, you know, there is a belief system. I mentioned this the last time I talked about the seven churches that, you know, each of these seven churches, some people believe it. You just take a segment of the 2,000 years of church history, and each of these churches represents a segment of church history from the beginning all the way up to the present day. I don't tend to think that's a wise way to look at it. A lot of commentators do. If you looked at it that way historically, then, then the uh, church in Smyrna refers to that time period from about uh, uh, 64 A.D. to uh, the early 300s, 312 A.D. or so. And it was a time of tremendous persecution for the Christian church. There were 10 Roman emperors. Rome hated Christians because they thought, they thought that Christians pulled the allegiance of the people away from Rome. So uh, the, the, um, the leaders in Rome did not like the church. And, and so as a result, there were 10 there were 10 emperors that rose up from A.D. 64 to 312. And I mean, they persecuted the church like you can't imagine, starting with Nero, who was a, a madman, who had mental problems, who just tortured Christians in horrible ways all the way up to the time of Constantine. And it was a, a really, really, really terrible time. And uh, as I get into this, you'll see both with this church in Smyrna and Pergamos, it feels like we're going to go full circle again. The church started with persecution. Why did, why did the enemy persecute believers so strongly through the Roman Empire, first century? He wanted to kill what Jesus did. 
He thought he could kill Jesus. He'd come up out of the grave. And then he tried to kill his followers and, 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 call, and, and came against the Roman Empire. Demon spirits uh, caused these emperors to be so, so set against Christianity for hundreds of years. But it didn't kill the spark of life in the church. Here we are full circle now. Looks like Jesus is about to come back. And you're going to see worldwide a persecution that perhaps we've never seen in intensity since the first century. Uh, and, and here we are again. So there's some things we can learn particularly from the church in Smyrna. And so, again, verse 8, let's just go right here. And to the church of, uh, and to the angel of the church of, uh, in Smyrna, write these things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. Jesus reminds these believers that are being persecuted seriously, that he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the alpha, he's the omega, and uh, he was persecuted, but, you know, they killed him, but they couldn't keep him in the grave. So he was just giving them some encouragement. Regardless of what happens to you, I'm at the beginning of your life, and I am at the end of your life. The worst thing they can do to you is kill you. But you know what? If they even try to kill you, I'm right there. How many hear me? If you go to, again to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, the first martyr, died. I mean, while he the stones were being thrown at his body. And he was, he was almost at the point of death. He opened his eyes and Jesus was not sitting, standing at the right hand of the Father. I wonder if that would be a template for believers worldwide over the, over the centuries of the church age that, that really will be martyrs for Jesus that will give their lives and will be persecuted seriously. I wonder if that's a template that if you give the ultimate sacrifice, when you do, Jesus is right there to welcome you immediately. You take your last breath here, first breath in the kingdom of God, he says thank you. Wouldn't it be awesome? Anyway, it's just something to think about. So... Uh, Jesus came to give us life. Persecution may be strong, but hey, it ends with heaven. Verse 9, uh, he says to these believers, I know your works. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? You know Jesus knows what you do. I've often sat and thought about it. I thought about it here. I know your works, your tribulation. That, that word tribulation is the Greek word for pressure. I know the pressures that you're facing in life. I, I, know, I know what you're doing. You know, it makes me think, you know, when you think about a local church in a community, God's very aware of Victory Church. He's aware of what we're doing. He's aware of how we treat people. He's aware of the word that I preach. He's aware of every individual. We'll see in a minute. He's aware of every individual at Victory Church. He's aware of you. He is aware of the outreaches we have that are reaching out to our community. He's aware of the things we're doing to, 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 to be salt and be light. He's aware. So he says here, he says here, I know your works, your tribulation. And your poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now, you know, there was tremendous persecution from the uh, government of Rome uh, towards Christians. Jews were immunized by, uh, by the Roman government from persecution because they, because they worshipped the, the, the one true God, uh, Rome respected the Jewish race and said, okay, we're not going to mess with you. Do what you need to do. Do what you want to do. And then the Jews got upset with the Christians. And they got angry with Christians. And they actually hated, hated the, I mean, the, 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 what we would call Hasidic Jews. The ones that were, I mean, just died in the wool. We're doing animal sacrifices. We don't believe that Jesus is Messiah. Those Jews that were hardcore just set in. And so it says here, 
I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews and are not. How many know you can be a Jew, but you're not really a Jew? Romans 2.28, Paul talked about the circumcision of the heart. You've got to be born again. How many know you might not be a fleshly Jew, but if you've been born again, you've been grafted into the family of God, and you've received the circumcision of the heart. So you're, you're in God's family. Is that good news? So nonetheless, here, um, there was a large, large number of Jews in a local synagogue that uh, slandered Christians in Smyrna, went to the government and said, uh, and said these, these Christians aren't doing the things that they need to do. And uh, there was emperor worship during this time, both in Smyrna and in Pergamos, as we'll see in, in just a minute. And, uh, and you had to go before the government once a, once a year, and every Roman citizen had to bow down and worship the emperor. I praise you, Emperor Nero. I praise you, Emperor whoever. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so believers wouldn't do it. And they were beaten. They were thrown in prison. They were sometimes killed. And then the Jews, if they saw that a, a believer wasn't doing the emperor worship like he, like he should, they'd go tell, they'd go tell Rome. They'd say, the, the Roman uh, contacts there. Say these guys, and so they persecuted them seriously and severely, and they were used by the enemy to do that. How many know anytime somebody persecutes you because of your Christian faith, how many know it's demonically induced? I mean, so, so let, me, let me broaden this a little bit. I've, uh, I've been here 25 years this year in Raleigh, and regardless of where I've been in ministry, I'll just use this as an illustration, but when I first came here, it felt like I heard Kenneth Hagin, that's one of the schools I went to, and uh, I heard him say that when he really got into the ministry that God had called him to, he said demon forces basically ganged up on him, and he had already been in the ministry for 12 years until he finally found out what God really, really had for him. It was a traveling ministry. He said he fought more demon spirits that year that he entered into that traveling ministry than all the 12 before. And you'll find out when you enter into what God has for you, there will be spiritual opposition. And it's often really, really hard. It's challenging. When I first came here, I felt like all of hell came against me. I mean, uh, oh my goodness, I would find myself taking long walks and praying, seeking God, and commanding demon spirits to stop because people would say things and things would happen. And there was constant nitpicking and persecution here, persecution there. And then over the years, listen to this, over the years I've had people lambast me, say things that absolutely are not true, attacking my personal character, attacking our church. This is for 25 years, y'all. And every time that happened, I heard Kenneth Hagin's voice say, anytime anybody does anything to hinder, dissuade, or in any way uh, uh, seek to stop the work of a local church and its pastor, it's demonically inspired, and you can, you can take authority over it in Jesus' name. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So instead of getting angry with somebody that's giving me a spit bath, or I've, you don't know how many letters I've gotten. Used to be before the internet, you'd get letters. And they're anonymous letters, and they don't have a return address, and they put a nice little love stamp on it. But when you open it up, it's everything but a love letter. You get what I'm saying? I mean, I've gotten them all my ministry. You know, it's like, okay, you know what file that one goes in? Right in the trash can. And then I file it and say, you know what? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You foul devil influence and so and so to say that. You stop in the name of Jesus. If they said it about me, they'd say it whatever church they're attending or wherever they go. Stop in the name of Jesus. So anytime you ever hear anybody saying anything negative about any ministry, you have authority and you say, Satan, you take your hands off that person in Jesus' name. How many hear that? 
I've been doing that all my life. All I can say is it works. I could give you pertinent examples, but I don't have time. So uh, anyway, persecution. Uh, this was a severely persecuted church because of the Roman Empire. Persecution is really part of the life of a believer now in the United States because because our nation was founded on, uh, 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 by a group of people who desired religious freedom uh, from uh, England and uh, just wanted to worship freely the way they wanted to, by and large, we haven't had the persecutions in America that other people groups have had in other parts of the world. But, y'all, it's coming here. And, and I don't like to tell you that. But unless we pray and stand and vote properly, then the, if the wrong people get in public offices and the wrong ideologies come in force, and the big problem that we have today is pluralism. You don't even, most people don't even know what it is. Pluralism is, is a term used for, to describe what happens in a nation when people travel from other nations with other belief systems and come to that land and they bring their belief system with it. There's a plurality of belief systems. So there's so there's different there are different religions that are amalgamated together, and pluralism causes uh, some real challenges for any nation and to keep a people group intact, particularly a democratic republic the way that we have. It's a real challenge. How many hear me? Because you can't do it religiously. It's got to be based on the ethics of the people that are in this this people group. How many hear me? In fact, I've told you I'm reading a history book. It's 900 and something pages long. I'm about a third of the way through. Awesome. But it's talking about the principles that made, it, made us great and the pr- principles that allowed us the freedoms that we have. But y'all, if we're not careful, those freedoms can be easily taken away. And the challenge I see right now, the first thing that I see is free speech rights. And, and there is legislation in a number of states now uh, under the name of uh, hate speech Um, passing laws where you can't say this about a group or that about another group. That is the first stage of our freedoms being removed from us and some fairly serious persecution coming to believers. How many hear me? And let me just flat out say, American Christians aren't ready for persecution. So you want to ask yourself, when somebody disagrees with what you believe, can you smile and love them? Do you get angry or do you change your tune and say, well, I didn't really mean that. What do you do? So this is a big challenge, isn't it? Let me just give you some scripture uh, because persecution is part of the life of a believer. We're somewhat of an anomaly when it comes to the whole world and when it comes to the Christian church for the past uh, two millennia since Jesus was raised from the dead. America is an anomaly. The rest of the world, many places are suffering tremendous persecution from the government, from other religions, from terrorism, etc. But for some reason, well, you know, we've been spared a lot of that heavy type stuff, but it could be coming our way. I know that's not exciting to hear, but you know, if I'm smart and you're smart, you'll be ready for whatever comes. How many hear me? So listen to this, Matthew 5, 10. God, and brother, I did not give you these uh, scripture. I forgot to even give them to you. This was, I, I put this down today, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when men mock, people mock you, persecute you, lie about you, say all sorts of sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Is that exciting? 
And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. The problem in America, if somebody disagrees with us, we tend to tuck our tail between our legs and shut up. And we've got to be vocal about what we believe in a loving, kind way. How many hear what I'm saying? Y'all can look at me. I guess y'all are hearing me. Y'all are looking real strong. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Here's Jesus, John 15, 18, and 19. If the world, this is New Living Translation too. Um, uh, if the world hates you, you remember it hated me first. The world, if the world... Uh, the world would love you as its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. First Peter 4, 12 through 14. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have a wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests on you. He said when you're persecuted and you don't kowtow to, the, to, to what the belief system is around you, he said the, the power of God will come on you. I think the peace of God, the joy of the Lord will be yours every time you're persecuted. Are we willing to be defamed because of the name of Jesus? That's the question. And so, um, and so persecution is part of the life of a believer. It was really strong first century, first three centuries particularly, until Constantine uh, became emperor, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And then it, uh, the persecution kind of died down. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But nonetheless, it looks like it's coming full circle again. And the way, the way governments challenged Christianity in the past, friends, it's coming back to the world again. The spirit of Antichrist is rising up, and it wants to shut the mouth of Christians. How many hear me? So anyway, verse 10, uh, Revelation chapter 2, then, um, then it goes on to say, Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Jesus told him, said, you know, some tough stuff's coming down the pike. Roman government doesn't like you. They're going to throw some of you in prison because you're not going to get involved in the emperor worship. Don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. And then he says, there's a crown of life awaiting you. He tells them they'll earn a crown. And so James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Y'all listen to me. Every test... Every trial, every challenge that we go through because we are believers will be rewarded in the presence of Jesus one day. How many hear me? I mean, you know, I'm looking at some of you. Here's Bo over here. Some of you got it been in the Marines, the uh, Air Force, the Navy, whatever, you know, Army. And, you know, uh, soldiers that endure tremendous persecution they go through tough battles they put their life on the line for others how many know they stand before somebody and are awarded medals and you know what it tells that soldier what i did was right you know what it tells everybody else that's a man of valor that's a woman of valor 
They put their life on the line for somebody else. Do you know it's the same way in the kingdom of God? When you stand your ground and you don't kowtow to what our culture is saying and when you put yourself out and when people refuse to be your friend because you won't agree with what they believe that's hurting others and hurting themselves and hurting their country and hurting their children and they laugh at you and won't talk to you and look down their nose at you and say degrading things about you, one day you'll stand before Jesus and he will say, thank you. Won't that be cool? It's about five or six crowns, the crowns that we receive as a believer. believer, And one of them is the crown of life. And it's for those that suffer persecution. Are you willing? You know, uh, Muslims, they're promised 72 virgins if they just blow their body to smithereens. And it's really odd. They think that's what's going to happen to them. And they're looking forward to dying. And the moment they die, they wake up in flames. If you're a Muslim, I love you. But that's what the Bible says. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. But we're promised a crown of life if we just endure. Is that cool? Then Jesus said to him there, verse 11, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second Death. Then the Pergamus church, the church in Pergamum. The Pergamum church is the church of compromise. Everybody say compromise. That is not a word I like to use. Compromise. That's something that should not be in any of our lives. Let's look at the verbiage here. Let's read the whole thing. Come back and make some comments and we'll be done. Revelation 2.12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works. There it is again. Jesus knows what we do with our time. Isn't that good? Should be, could be good. Could be not good. He knows. I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. We'll come and talk about that. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antimus was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you've also... Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate, which things I hate, repent, or else I'll come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name which, uh, written, which no one knows except him who receives it. A lot of that language we just simply don't understand in the 21st century church in America, but let's look at it here. Jesus here is addressing the compromising church. So if you're looking at church history in an era of time that this would be synonymous with, the time from uh, 312 A.D. into about 600 A.D. 312 A.D., uh, the emperor Diocletian died in the early 4th century. That's the early 300 A.D.s. And, uh, and there was a battle as to who was going to take his place. And Constantine and another guy began to fight against each other. And the day before, Constantine and a man named Maxentius fought. The day before they fought, Constantine went to sleep. When he went to sleep, he had a dream. And in his dream, he looked up in the sky in his dream. And he saw the shape of a Christian cross in the sky. 
And when he woke up, he said, God is speaking to me. I need to become a Christian. And Constantine decided, and he became emperor. He won the battle. When Constantine became emperor of Rome, 312 AD, he made Christianity the state religion because of the dream he had. You ever heard that story? True story. He made Christianity the state religion, so it became in vogue to be a believer, to be a Christian. So Christian things were in, heathen things were out, and, and you think that's great. It was really the worst thing that has ever happened to the Christian church because what it did was it, it, it drained, drained out all of the purity and people brought their wrong belief systems, people brought their idolatry, people brought their sexual immorality, and people brought their pagan beliefs and their pagan cultures into the Christian church. And that happened for several hundred years. And it just watered down Christianity. And Christianity just became a word that meant very, very little. And it did nothing to change people's lives. And it was a really, really challenging time in history. So it's not good. And uh, uh, Christianity was compromised. So, Je- so, so look at what Jesus said here, verse 12, to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. There was all kinds of pagan worship uh, in the city of Pergamum, and uh, they had all kinds of idols. I'm not going to take the time. You can look it up. Uh, Zeus and, and, uh, um, you know, uh, just all different ones. Everything that came from Baal worship basically in the Old Testament was there and they worshiped false gods and they also uh, were tremendously involved in emperor worship and the believers again in Pergamum were also deeply uh, persecuted because of, 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 what they, uh, of the Jesus they worshiped and they worshiped the Roman emperor. I know your works were and where you dwell where Satan's throne is and this was the seat Pergamum was the seat of emperor worship. That's why he said it. You hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days when Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Now, Jesus here mentions Antipas, my faithful martyr. You can look at any books from from, uh, the first century. Nobody knows anything about Antipas. You can't find his book. His name in any books written in the era of time. You can't find any information about the believer named Antipas except for the fact that Jesus knew his name. You know what that tells me? I don't care who you are, where you're at. I don't care if you clean the toilets, change diapers in the nursery. You're in a local church. Jesus knows you. And Antipas was really the first martyr I mean, he was, he was the first martyr there in the church, and it meant a lot to Jesus that he gave his life. Jesus knew his name. Again, Pergamos was a major religious center, uh, had one of the largest libraries in the world. Um, scholars say there were over 200,000 copies of documents in the city of Pergamos. Only Alexandria, Egypt, had more had a bigger library than Pergamos. If you know anything about Alexandria, Egypt, it was the, the city to go to back in the day. And this was the city just right up there with it. And uh, they were actually parchment scrolls were actually made first in this city of Pergamos. It was the greatest city in Asia Minor. It's about 50 miles north of the city we just talked about, Smyrna. And it was also the center of emperor worship. That's why he said where Satan's throne is. Emperor worship was set up here, and uh, 
And again, believers were, were, were commanded once a year to go before the, the emperors, the leaders, and bow down and do obeisance to the Roman government, and they wouldn't, and so they were deeply, deeply persecuted. Then Jesus said this in verse 14, just about done, but I have a few things against you, because you have those there who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Uh, Thus you have also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I'll come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Again, what goes around comes around. First century there was a lot of uh, excessive immorality in the Roman Empire. In fact, it was the doom of the Roman Empire was the excessive sexual immorality that was allowed. Uh, homosexuality, lesbianism, pedophilia uh, became common. Many of the, many of the Roman authorities uh, had child sex slaves. It was said of Nero that he castrated a, a, young, uh, a young 14-year-old boy and that became his wife. I mean, y'all, this is awful stuff. And you see the same ideologies rising up in the Western world today. How many hear what I'm saying? And it's an extreme danger. And it tells us that what happened in the first century is beginning to happen again. He mentioned here, there were many temples uh, in Pergamus dedicated to heathen worship, the god Zeus, Aphrodite, uh, Asculapus, which was the god of medicine, the serpent on a pole. That's that guy. Oh, yeah. And uh, so all of, these, all of these false gods were worshipped with sexual immorality. He mentioned here Balaam and Balak during Balaam's day. And you can go read this, Numbers 22 through 25. I took some time to go back and read it today. Balak tried to get Balaam to curse Israel, and he just wouldn't do it. And he tried to do it, and God kept saying, and he finally came to Balak and said, how can you curse whom God has not cursed? But during Balaam's day, Balaam basically said, you know what? You're so blessed by God, do anything that you want to do. And if you go read Numbers 25, you know what the Israelites did? Uh, the Israelite men got to looking across the border you know, some of the other nations, and they went to the Moabites, and the women were really pretty, and the women said, you want a piece of bread? I got some fresh meat. It's been sacrificed to my God. And so, well, I'm really hungry. All we have to eat is manna. He said, well, come and get some of this. I got some good stuff. Don't matter that it's sacrificed to my God. And Balaam said, it's all right. Eat the meat. You're blessed by God. You can't be cursed. They ate the meat and the women started smiling at them and they got involved in the worship of Baal, the false gods, and Baal worship began to be introduced into the nation of Israel and it was all during Balaam's time. And Balaam's doctrine was because you're blessed by God, regardless of what you do, it doesn't matter. Does that sound familiar today? And now we've got, you know, some people, Michael Brown calls it the hyper grace message. Regardless of what you do, once you're saved, you're saved. And you can never be lost. So if you commit adultery, you commit fornication. If you're a homosexual, if you're a lesbian, if whatever you are, anything goes, the grace of God covers and cleanses your life. Even if you're involved in those sins, just keep right on in that because God loves you. Because God loves everybody, you're going to go to heaven. It's the grace 
grace of God that covers you. Friends, that is the doctrine of Balaam. That is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. How many hear me? That was the doctrine of Balaam. How many hear me? And we've come full circle, and here it is. We have to deal with it today in the church. And so there's a lot of people that they want to come to Jesus, and as I've mentioned on Sunday mornings, they want to take Jesus and just add him to everything else they do in their lives. So I love Jesus, but I fornicate. Well, that's okay. I love Jesus, but I can have sex before marriage because God loves me. God has a wonderful plan for my life. I'm going to heaven anyway, so what I do with my body really doesn't matter. Or I'm a homosexual and have homosexual proclivities. Well, I can be a homosexual and go to heaven because God loves homosexuals God loves every human being but there are some things will keep you out of the gates of heaven but the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of Balaam says you can live any way you want to live as long as you call on the name of Jesus and ask to be saved then you're going to heaven and friends that is not what the Bible teaches in fact, I mentioned a few Sunday mornings ago that um, Jude mentions turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, sexual looseness. And the whole book of Jude is written about that. So here we are today. We're fighting the same battles they did in the first century. Persecution, you're going to see, is going to be rising worldwide. And then this ideology is already in the American church. How many hear me? And, uh, you know, it gets really quiet when you do what I did all summer long and challenge the sins of the American church and, and the things that we're not talking about from our, our pulpits publicly because we're afraid of what people will think. Yes or no? And then we won't have conversations with our friends and our family members, and our neighbors. Well, you know what? You can lovingly confront and talk about who Jesus is, what he did, what he did for you, how he cleaned your life up, and you can call things what Jesus called them. Jesus called them sin. Yes or no? Now, is that going to make you popular? No. Are people going to be upset? Yeah. Jesus said, there's a crown of life waiting on you if you'll just honor me. But don't kowtow to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans or the doctrine of Balaam. Call things what they are and give people an opportunity to repent. How many hear me? Wow, this went over real big. Y'all are real quiet tonight. So he ends by saying, verse 17, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now, the Jews believed, you know, in, uh, in the Ark of the Covenant, there was Aaron's rod that budded, and there was also a pot of manna they put in. And Jews believed, you go read some of the Jewish writings, they believed the angels of God took that manna and that there's hidden manna waiting for the, for the for just before Messiah returns. God's going to feed those believers that are tremendously persecuted with fresh manna and that God saved this manna for those people that are going to be here before the Messiah returns. And that's the reason that he says to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now listen to this. During Balaam's time, the Israelites were, um, they were eating manna, but they went over there to the Moabite with the women there, and they ate food sacrificed to idol. And Jesus was saying to them, you know what? I've got some pure stuff for you. If you'll just quit compromising your life, I have a way to meet your needs according to my riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How many hear me? 
I will give some of the man, uh, give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, in which no one knows except him who receives it. Uh, Bible scholars are over the place as far as what this white stone is. One of them is, and I'll end with one of them said this about this white stone. This could be uh, from the Roman times, the athletes, when they won an athletic competition, they were given a stone with their initials on it. And if they carried that stone, wherever they carried that stone, they got food free. They didn't have to pay taxes. They were a blessed person for the rest of their life because they had that white stone, which meant they overcame. And he said, you know what? If you'll walk with me and don't compromise, even though you're persecuted, even though you're challenged and everything around you is falling apart, I'm going to bless you. I'll meet your needs. I'll make sure you're always provided for and you'll always be blessed. Just don't compromise. 